Now that we're clear of September and maybe even the September effect on the bond market, where are interest rates going to go the rest of this year heading into next year? There are those like Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, who believes that rates have to go higher and maybe he warned much higher. But there are those on the other side, including JP Morgan's asset management firm that believes interest rates are going to go lower and maybe much lower. If JP Morgan can't decide which way rates are gonna go, it's understandable why people would be confused, uncertain about the trajectory of rates this year and beyond. Well, let's start with what Jamie Dimon had to say. In an interview with the Times of India just last month, what he said was going from zero to 2% was almost no increase. Going from zero to 5% caught some people off guard, but no one would have taken 5% out of the realm of possibility. I'm not sure if the world is prepared for 7%. And here's the kicker. If they're going to have lower volumes and higher rates, meaning banks, there will be stress in the system, meaning the banking system. So if we have higher rates and a credit crunch, that's going to be a problem for the banking system as well as the wider economy. And you would think that if it is a problem for the banking system and the wider economy, that would lead to lower interest rates. Well, that's exactly what JP Morgan's asset management side is has been thinking about rates going forward. Here's what they said in September, just a couple weeks before Diamond's interview with India. U.S. government bonds are expected to rally over the coming months as the Federal Reserve has likely reached a peak in interest rates, executive at J.P. Morgan's asset management firm said on Thursday. Again, this is the middle of September. The firm, which manages $2.5 trillion in assets, expects benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury yields to decline and hit about 3.75% by the end of this year. So Diamond, the head of JP Morgan, says rates going well above 5%, maybe 7% if the world's not careful. And JP Morgan, the asset management firm, says the 10-year treasury falling from about 470 where it is now to maybe 375 by the end of this year. What are the various scenarios that would lead us in one direction or the other? And can we tell from recent history about what we might be facing as far as risks, the possibilities, the probabilities of moving in one direction or the other? Is it JP Morgan or is it JP Morgan? Diamond versus his own firm. And this is not the first time this dichotomy between Diamond and JP Morgan has happened. So we got to talk about interest rates. Let's talk about banking and credit crunch, the trajectories, the patterns, the the possible templates and JP Morgan's involvement in all of it. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. We are having another webinar this coming Friday, this Friday, October 20th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I believe it's daylight time. I'm almost sure it's daylight time, but it's 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Come join us Friday for our webinar on the dollar. Is it in danger of being replaced? Why would it be replaced? How can it be replaced? Can it be replaced? We'll answer those questions or at least tackle some of the issues at our webinar Friday. There's a link in the description of this video for you to sign up. I hope to see you there. Again, Friday, October 20th, 6.30 p.m. Jamie Dimon and interest rates. What is it with this guy? Back in 2018, August 2018 to be specific, he made many of the same proclamations. Although rates were lower at the same time, the implication was exactly the same. On August 6th of 2018, he said this, I think rates should be 4% today. They weren't even close to 4% at that time. 
you better be prepared to deal with rates 5% or higher. It's a higher probability than most people think. And at that time, the U.S. Treasury market was just getting into the September effect, which is really an August and September effect. So rates were actually somewhat steady to lower, and they were lower around the rest of the world heading into August of 2018 because of the recession and deflationary economy that was going to break out in short order. But Jamie said, no, the Fed is going to be aggressive, inflation risk, all of that stuff. Rates are going to go much higher. And they didn't. And they didn't go higher because of everything that we were talking about in terms of inversions and flattening curves. The warnings the euro dollar system was sending to anybody who was willing to pay attention to them. Clearly not Mr. Diamond. But what was interesting about 2018's case is that while Diamond was saying rates are going to go higher, JP Morgan, the bank, was betting on rates going lower. So once again, we had the dichotomy, the divergence of opinion, the top layers of JP Morgan, the managers like Jamie Diamond saying rates go up because Fed, rate hikes, inflation, labor shortage, all the familiar arguments. And then the bankers that were actually buying the treasury bonds at that time were saying deflation, disinflation, problems with recession, global economy, not, not performing all that well. All the familiar arguments you hear today. And this, the September effect and the September effect pattern in 2018 was not specifically about September. It's we call it a September effect, but it, it actually, again, it starts in August and it can spill over past the calendar, the end of the quarter into October. And if you look back at, say, the long-term rates, uh, long-term treasury rates, and some of the others too, because remember, this is a global effect. We've got Germany as well as Japan. Those bonds follow very closely along in the same pattern. But in specifically U.S. treasuries, what you had is the sell-off into September and early October. And then Rates didn't immediately reverse. In fact, they went they went slightly lower, um, sideways to slightly lower until the end of October. And then they, they sold off again. And if you recall, the 10-year hit a new multi-year high in early November, November 8th. It was both the 10-year and true year that hit highs in November. But after November, then it was off the cliff. That's That was when we call... That was what we called the landmine back then, interest rates falling as it became even more clear uh, beyond the warnings that we had that had been sent in the middle of 2018 that the global economy was moving in the wrong direction, that it wasn't going to be an inflationary breakout or anything of the sort, and it wasn't interest rate uh, hikes of the Fed that were going to continue. Instead, we had lower rates, recession, uh, deflation, all of that stuff heading before we got to uh, 2020 and COVID. We had a similar pattern last year, if you recall, where we had again the September effect where August and September, September in particular, interest rates, especially long-term treasury yields and long-term German bond yields and long-term JGB yields, all of the yields around the world, those went up rather precipitously through September. And just like in 2018, it wasn't limited to September because we had you know, the big sell-off, the violent stuff in the UK around September 27th. And then it continued. Rates rates went higher in the early part of October until around October 20th. And then from October 20th, rates were kind of lower to the end of the month. And then they were up again in early November, just like 2018. In fact, it was November 7th of 2022 where the 10-year hit its peak. November 7th and November 8th was when the bond market really topped out. 
in somewhat like 2018 heading into 2019, 2022 rates started to go lower, though not in the same incline as back in 2018. But you had the September effect was over and you had the fundamentals in the marketplace starting to reassert themselves beyond the September effect. And they were not about the Fed's rate hikes. They were about the banking crisis that was developing, especially in Europe, that collateral shortage that took down the gilt market and led to all sorts of problems, including the, remember the Swiss National Bank dollar auctions in October of 2022. All of the fundamentals behind that, including an economy in Europe that headed into recession, an economy in the US that continued to slow down, disinflation across prices, especially producer prices around the world, combined to push interest rates down lower until we got into the banking crisis in March and April. The pattern was familiar, 2018 versus 2022, even if the degree to which interest rates declined was somewhat different. They had the, the rise, the September effect, September into October, and continuing somewhat into November, and then rates went lower as more and more fundamentals became came to dominate uh, trading in global bonds, not just U.S. Treasuries. One of those fundamental propositions for Treasury rates to go lower, why J.P. Morgan, the asset management firm, is betting on rates going lower, that would be negative fundamentals. Negative fundamentals in the economy, along with negative fundamentals, not just in the banking system, as Diamond was warning, but also a matter of credit. We continue to see the credit crunch develop in the statistics but before we get to those, the latest numbers, let's back up and look at what a credit crunch actually looks like. Let's go back to 2007 and 2008. We'll look at the same statistics, the H8 numbers put out by the Federal Reserve. And I'm not making a comparison to 2007, 2008, though I still believe the 2008 style scenario is in play here. But essentially, what does a credit crunch look like? And like a recession, it's not as if someone flips a switch. You don't have credit one day and no credit the next. There is a prolonged process as we move from one to the other. We move from normality or a growing trend or banks expanding their lending activities along with their, along with their balance sheets to them not doing either of those things. And again, it's a prolonged multi-month, maybe even multi-year process. It certainly was the case in 2008. When you look at overall bank credit, early 2007, you see the initial hiccup that became the 2008 crisis in March of 2007. Yes, the same month that Ben Bernanke said subprime was contained, he felt compelled to say subprime was contained because there was this modest ripple, this initial ripple that went throughout not just the monetary system, but also banks' balance sheets. So you see that initial ripple in March of 2007, but then as usual with these ebbs and flows in any crisis or credit crunch period, banks kind of went back to, okay, something happened, but we're, we're going to act as if that was no big deal. But then they came back to it later in 2007, where you start to see the trend begin to change. So we're already many months into this process. In late 2007, the trend doesn't change in clear fashion. It just starts to slow down. So it starts to deviate from trend late 2007, which can coincide, not coincidentally was the beginning of the great quote-unquote recession, which as we know from recent videos wasn't really a recession. And one reason because the credit crunch continued to worsen and deepen. With the real clear trend change in March and April of 2008 in the aftermath of Bear Stearns. Suddenly you see not credit falling off. It doesn't contract in absolute terms. Instead, 
The credit environment, the credit statistics show more sideways. But in this world that we live in, nonlinear world, sideways is contraction. When we stop growing, that is contraction. When you don't grow fast enough in terms of money and credit, that is contraction. So aftermath of 2008, you don't see credit absolutely contract, but you do see credit go sideways, which is a contraction, which did impact an economy that was already in bad shape, so that by the summer of 2008, the credit crunch combined with a weak economy produced, even before Lehman Brothers and AIG and all that, some pretty nasty economic conditions. It was all happening through the credit crunch as well as all of the other negative pressures that were combining at that time. In fact, that's one reason why they developed a credit crunch because banks were becoming more and more risk averse. And you see the same thing, not just in bank credit, but also banks' loan portfolios. So here in 2023, what do we find? We find much the similar case. A credit crunch has developed in almost exactly the same way where credit has actually fallen off, but it has fallen off and then mostly sideways since March. But again, that's a contraction. That is a, a credit crunch. In 2023, we see it most clearly in bank credit because banks are cutting back and what they're mostly cutting back on is holdings of securities, as you might expect, but they're also altering their lending profiles too. The level of lending has slowed way down to the point that, like in 2008, it has developed into a credit crunch as well. Let's talk about the latest statistics and the H8 figures, which show, again, a couple of concerning things that we need to keep in mind when we're thinking about interest rates and the economy. The bank credit fell pretty sharply in the first week in October, down $55.7 billion. Since the end of July, really early August, when we saw all of these uh, financial indications, collateral indications develop uh, concerning numbers throughout August and September, what you saw was bank credit down $71.3 billion since the end of July through the first week in October. And of course, since the, the middle part of March, when the crisis first erupted, Bank credit is off an astonishing $331 billion, $331.8 billion. And again, that doesn't, that doesn't tell you the, the full extent of the decline here because had bank credit continued to grow, even at the modest slowed pace since the middle of last year, if it had maintained that prior trend, bank credit would be over half a trillion dollars higher in the first week in October than it was. And again, lending has been slowed down, even if it hasn't contracted entirely. So we see the credit crunch developing. We see it's already at serious proportions, but maybe the most, the most concerning part of the data is actually the other part, not in terms of lending, but building up cash cushions because banks have been doing that since the last, since the early part of August. Again, coincident to all of these global indications in money and finance, Banks have been building, primarily large banks, have been building up their borrowings and cash cushions. And it was substantial in the first week of October as it was substantial in the final week of September. Borrowings increased by $43 billion first week in October, following a $72 billion increase during the final week in September. Cumulatively, since the end of July, so again, the early part of August forward, $156.3 billion in additional borrowing. That's a whole lot of additional borrowing when banks should be 
repaying their borrowings from the earlier banking crisis. They've added 156 billion and all of that has gone into cash. In the final week, in the first week of October, cash balances went up by 25.2 billion. They had gone up by 50 billion in the final week in September and a cumulative 157.9 billion since the end of July. So banks are restricting credit. They're reducing their, their credit profile in, in the way that you see in uh, credit crunches that developed, say, in 1990. We talked about that one before, as well as 2008. So it has all the, the bears all the hallmarks of a credit crunch. At the same time, the banking system is being extra careful, borrowing more cash and holding on to that cash as an added defensive measure. So when we're talking about interest rates in the direction of the economy, now that we're clear of the September effect, Jamie Dimon, like the Fed, sees, in, sees inflation risks and therefore uh, interest rates going higher, maybe even a lot higher. But what is the banking system seeing? What is the monetary system seeing? Well, the banking system, we know from the statistics, is becoming more and more defensive. They're restricting more and more credit, especially bank credit, especially their their, their willingness to buy securities, which include mortgages, not just U.S. Treasury. So they're restricting credit in that fashion. They're becoming more defensive. It's not hard to wonder why many participants, now that we're outside of September, would think interest rates have to go lower. Because like 2018, as well as 2022, we have all of the macro and money and financial ingredients for rates to follow those types of patterns rather than something like what Mr. Diamond was talking about back in 2018, which he was wrong about that, as well as maybe in 2023 too. I just talked about recently with Steve Van Meter the difference between the fundamental proposition in the two-year treasury versus what's going on September effect in the 10-year. Check it out at the video link below me. As always, I thank you for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, Eurodollar University members. And until next time, take care.